Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today's topic, All Hallows' Eve. That's translated, the evening before the All Holy Day, or All Saints' Day. How does a a day before a major remembrance or celebration day become so well known, often to the eclipse of the next day? I have in mind All Hallows' Eve, which is a day before the major church date known as All Saints' Day. Halloween is of pagan origin, and it has really no connection with Christianity. However, something momentous did happen on October 31st, 1517. Little did the monk Martin Luther know what would issue from his posting in Latin his 95 theses, that is, assertions inviting a debate concerning his objections to the sale of indulgences in Saxony, Germany. However, the translation and printing of these theses in the common language was the spark that lit the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. There are a few statements in the 95 assertions that laid the groundwork for a theological rediscovery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here are two of them. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, such as Matthew 4.17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Notice He uses the word repentance, not penance. Second, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. He lit a spark. And over the next few years, his studies and defense of his theses resulted in a rediscovery of the biblical gospel. In 1518, just a few months later, at the Heidelberg meeting with his fellow Augustinian monks, Luther and others discussed how we are made righteous with God and how we can stand before him in acceptance. There is a clear enunciation of the biblical doctrines of radical depravity, that is total depravity and total spiritual inability, and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. Hear these statements from Luther from this meeting. Number 16, he wrote, the person who believes that he can obtain grace by doing what is in him adds sin to sin so that he becomes doubly guilty. Number 17. Nor does speaking in this manner give cause for despair, but for arousing the desire to humble oneself and to seek the grace of Christ. And number 18. It is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. Notice that what he's doing is laying the groundwork for the fact that man cannot be his own savior, nor can he add to the work of Christ. Number 25 of the 28 assertions, he writes, He is not righteous who does much, but he who without work believes much in Christ. And number 26, The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe this, Believe in this, and everything is already done. So in the few moments 
between October 17th and April 1518, Luther came into a clear understanding of the gracious work of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ that gives to believers the righteousness that God requires. If you remember his earlier turmoil as a monk, he had read in Romans 1 about the righteousness of God. And in reading that, he was terrified because he knew he didn't have this kind of righteousness that God was requiring, no matter how much he worked for it. He could never achieve it. He never truly understood the remainder of the verse, that the righteousness of God is a free gift given to us by God. Well, this righteousness, now he has come to understand fully, is a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is truly a rediscovery of the gospel. As Protestant and especially evangelical believers, we have much to celebrate and rehearse on what is properly called Reformation Day. Let us do so not by imitating pagan rituals, but by singing and reading the scriptures, especially those that highlight the truths of the Reformation, and teaching in our sermons and lessons the great truths recovered during the Protestant Reformation over many years and among various groups of believers. Let me offer some comments from the Bible on the gospel assertions that Luther makes that I've reviewed with you. First, he states that the gospel is a true treasure, is the true treasure of the church. So what really does the church have that comes from God? Well, it has the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ on the behalf of sinners. Now, Paul references the gospel as a treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 as the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Quote, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, seeing it is God who said, Light will shine out of darkness, in Genesis 1-3, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay vessels that the exceeding greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Jesus referred to the kingdom of God as a treasure in his parables. Truly, the great treasure the church has is the gospel itself. Second truth, total inability that spiritual inability of a person to contribute in any way to his own salvation. Grace is God's action and his gift on our behalf. It begins with this heart of love in eternity. It issues in the incarnation, in the giving of his son, and it comes to fruition in the very work of Christ, laying down his life for us on the cross, where he became the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering for our sins. One cannot earn grace. Such an idea is a contradiction. You can't contribute to grace. The moment you attempt to do so, you're engaged in a work in which you think you are obligating God to do something for you. 
That's contrary to grace. It's contrary to the very word of God. It is contrary to the gospel. Luther wrote the following in Bondage of the Will. Man does not do evil against his will under pressure as though he were taken by the scruff of the neck and dragged into it like a thief being dragged off against his will to punishment, but he does it spontaneously and voluntarily. And this willingness or volition is something which he cannot in his own strength eliminate, restrain, or alter. Again, quoting from Luther, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he can make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. All such is stupid assertity. We must depend upon God's mercy and grace alone. Now we see that Luther's theology flows directly out of the Bible in a number of representative passages which I want to share with you. First, beginning about man's total spiritual inability to awaken himself to God or to come to God, that is, his total depravity, that is, that the effects of the original sin of Adam passed on to his posterity affects every aspect of man's life. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 64, verse 7, There is no one who calls upon your name, speaking of God, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Paul, echoing the same truth in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world that's the devil, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He sums up a great truth of indictment against all mankind in sin, condemned and guilty and damned before God. He writes, quoting from the Psalms, no one understands, no one seeks for God. It's because of these great realities that the Apostle Paul, in reviewing God's work of grace in Christ to save us, writes that when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Here's what Jesus himself said in John 6, 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Do you understand? You cannot come to God on your own. John the Baptist stated in John 3.27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's granted him from heaven. The next truth, salvation by grace alone without any mixture of works is seen in such texts as the following. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 
For by grace, that's God's unmerited favor and his action of kindness and mercy toward you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. You're not saved by faith in faith. You're saved by faith in the object, the person who can say his name is Jesus. Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of work. Works otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. The moment you try to earn grace or supplement grace, you've gone against grace. You are engaging in trying to pay God off. You cannot succeed in such a fruitless endeavor. John chapter 6. Again, Jesus is speaking. And they said to him, that is to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Here's Jesus' answer to them, to us. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, who is the one whom he sent? Jesus himself is the one whom he has sent. So this is the work of God that we believe in Jesus, the Messiah, his son, the Lord. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, see this, has, not future tense, but has present reality, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Wow. Here's a summary of what I'm trying to say. People are not able to save themselves. They're not able to come into a right relationship with the holy God on their own. The reason for this is because they, we, are born in a state of spiritual death, inability, and condemnation. Transgressions flow from our polluted souls, the source of our sins. The unclean cannot make themselves clean. Man must be rescued by an outside agent, and the only outside agent that can save is the holy God against whom we have sinned. Only the one who created the universe and humanity in his image can have the power to bring spiritual life, the birth from above, by his life-giving spirit through the word of the gospel. God has acted from his deep eternal love by sending his son, his very self, into our world as one united with us and with God and who gave himself for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He discharged our debt, took our punishment, and removed our shame. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did he do this? This is stated for us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is Jesus the Son, 
to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That is, God's righteousness is manifested and exists fully in Jesus Christ, his son, is credited to our account. And 1 Peter 2, 22 states, Jesus committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Salvation is by the grace of God. Because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, whom you receive by faith. That is, by trusting in his word of promise and calling upon him to do for you what he has accomplished on your behalf. All that God in Christ has done for you and in your stead is yours through his grace, which you lay hold of by trust in him and his word of promise. He is an all-sufficient and a complete Savior. Look to Christ alone and live. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.